Welcome back to our 25th episode of the World of Heritage. My name is Nilufar. Today, me and Liana, one of my new colleagues, is with me hosting the talk. Hey, Liana, I'm happy to have you on the board of the podcast team. Thanks, Nilufar. I'm really happy to be joining you today. This podcast originally started as part of Stephanie and Nilufar's study project. Now, a few months later, that project is still ongoing. And they, luckily for me, decided to extend their team by including Mary and me. We are so excited to learn more about our colleagues and dear friends at the BTU Heritage Community. Speaking of which, today's episode, we will talk to another lovely member of this community, Rabea. Rabea was born and raised in the countryside of Germany. Early on, she knew that she was interested in learning about different cultures, and therefore she decided to study cultural and social anthropology at the Westfalian Wilhelm University in Munster. During this time, she decided to spend her semester abroad in Nairobi, Kenya. After that, she traveled a bit more through Zimbabwe and South Africa, and then she finished her bachelor degree with the topic of transcultural psychiatry of the Sami in Scandinavia. After finishing that, she started a tourism job in Munich. However, after six months, she decided to go back to university and study World Heritage Studies at the BTU, and we are so glad that she did so. Welcome, Merbea. Thanks for talking to us. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. So great. Let's start with part one then. Why did you study cultural and social anthropology for your bachelor's and what are the main differences between that and World Heritage Studies? <laughs> so at the beginning, it was not so much a decision to really study it. Um, it kind of just happened. So I applied for a lot of different things also to become a teacher because that was what I really knew also from my big sister, for example. But then I went to Australia um, to do work and travel for a year, um, right after high school. And yeah, this is where I really, really knew that I wanted to do something with culture. And then I met this girl in Byron Bay and I will never forget her because she told me that she's studying cultural uh, management. And I thought that was so interesting, like all the stories that she had. Um, so when I came back and really applied for universities, I looked out more for um, yeah, bachelor study programs that are connected to culture. So this is how I ended up um, finding this program. And I also thought, I thought Münster is really nice. It's not too far from home, but also really nice um, student city and everything was really perfect at that point. So um, yeah, like the main differences is really that um, cultural and social anthropology is a humanities um, program. So it's about societies. It's a lot about intangible heritage. So I think that's the, the biggest difference that uh, World Heritage Studies is more, not more, but also connected to the tangible parts, um, which you cannot find that much um, in my bachelor's program. So this is what I also really enjoy about the masters now to see to see the other part. And what's the story behind you working in a rehabilitation center for drug addicted street boys in one of the slums of Nairobi? How did it start? What tough experiences did you learn from that time? Yeah, so that that is really good and and also very personal question, but um, I also really like it. So. When I started my bachelor program, um, at the beginning, of course, I enjoyed it, but I noticed that it was not really the thing that I wanted to do, that I want to do. It was not completely satisfying. And 
To be honest, after one year in Australia, I really had Fernweh. I'm not sure if everybody is familiar with that term, um, but it really mean it means that you really want to go to a different place again. So I felt that I was stuck a little bit in Germany, and then the program was not really what I wanted. I really wanted to go out again, and then I thought, okay, I want to go really far away, <laughs> and I just had a look where where I could go, and then I was like, Africa really interests me. And I found this organization um, called Smile Africa, and it's an organization of my former hostess. So I got in contact with them, and he invited me. And yeah, this is how I ended up in Kenya. And in the very first week um, of Nairobi, my hostess Peter he showed me around and said, "Okay, they have different programs, so you can have a look what you like, where you like, with what people you get along with the best." Um, what you're interested in and then after one week you can decide what you want to do I I think it was the second day that I went to the rehabilitation center and it was so impressive and heartbreaking at the same time because all of this boys so it was boys between 11 and 18 years old um, all drug addicted and all living on the streets and I don't know I I just walked in there and the boys came to me and hugged me immediately. And they were like, oh, you will stay here, right? Because so far, nobody else stayed with us. And that was really the moment where I was like, oh, but why did nobody stay with you guys? And then it, it was quite obvious that a lot of people rather wanted to stay with the little children. So I don't know. I was like, no, this is, this is such a good and an amazing program. So this is when I decided to work there. But I also have to admit that it was the toughest experience that I ever did because a lot of stuff is happening there. I mean, it was in a slum of Nairobi and then in a rehabilitation center. So it was really the worst case scenario. And a lot of stuff happened. So when I came back from Kenya for the first years, I couldn't really talk about it much. I really had this in a wall that I always build up when people ask me about it. Um, but now it's been six or seven years ago, so now it's okay. But for example, one of the boys got shot two um, weeks before I left and you really got attached to the boys, of course. And it was really terrible things happening almost every day. It was a really tough time, but what I really learned from it is that those kinds of travels, you go in there and you think, okay, probably you can give them a lot, but then you realize that you cannot give them anything but that this kind of travel is really just for you. It's really just that you learn what the bitter reality is. And the only thing that I could really offer the boys that I also had the feeling was missing a lot is really acceptance. So a lot of people in the society think that there's like, those boys are the least important people in the society. So of course, there were people that cared about them, but it was tricky. They all, always gave them a little bit of a feeling like, yeah, whatever you do, maybe you won't make it. And I think the one thing that I could really do is accept them, show them that I really like them the way they are. They don't do anything wrong. It's You, you definitely saw the circumstances, why it, the boys happened to be there and really show them, just show them acceptance and love. And I had the feeling that the boys really saw saw that effort. So, yeah. This is truly like one of the most things that resonates with me, the fact that you said um, you feel like you're going to help them, but actually it's you that's learning from them. 
And um, honestly, I'm, I'm all emotional um, just hearing about your experience. And I find it so brave for you to do um, this experience. And not many people can do this because actually I have tried once to volunteer at a drug rehabilitation uh, center in Lebanon. It was part of a community service, just quickly sharing my experience. And I just went for two hours and then I got that. I was like, I can't, I can't handle it. So this is truly incredible getting out of your comfort zone and traveling, that's truly enriches your life experience, I think, and uh, makes you feel like you learned something different and a different perspective on life coming from virtual first world country. I mean, yeah. To transition to another question, um, maybe like a lighter, more fun mood. Um, but yeah, thank you again for sharing this experience with us. Fun question. Uh, what's the craziest thing that you have ever done in your life? I mean, like something fun and like spontaneous, perhaps. Yeah, I really, really like that question because I think honestly, there's quite some things that happened, but it really depends on the perspective also. Some people like you, for example, you already said it's so brave and amazing and crazy that you really go to countries alone, do backpacking alone, because all of the travels I've done so far was alone. But I mean, yeah, I got used to it. So it's not really a crazy thing for me, but things things happen when you do backpacking. So um, I think one of the most amazing things crazy and amazing that I did is really snorkeling with a whale shark. So I was in Australia on the West Coast and while everybody wanted to see the Great Barrier Reef, I was like, nah, <laughs> who needs that? I want to go to the West Coast to the Ningaloo Reef. And um, yes, then I snorkeled with an 11 meter long whale shark, which was um, one of the experiences that really, it's such a great memory. Um, but it's really you in the open ocean. So they, you're on a boat, you drive outside and they just, kick you in the water basically um then there's nothing literally nothing you don't see anything underneath you you don't see anything around you but water and then you have a look inside and you see this huge whale shark and it's it's been amazing really so yeah then you actually try to follow it and it seems like slow motion like all the movements that the whale shark is doing but you have to paddle so fast and it was it was really exhausting to be honest so um after that trip i was just sitting there with with the friends that i found and that um did the snorkeling with me and we just had this extremely white grin in our faces and it wouldn't it wouldn't come off for the entire day so that was really nice wow you describe it very amazingly i could imagine <laughs> so um robert as your family were active in the dancing sector and dancing business, we heard that you love records and dancing. Which one is your favorite record? And are you still able to dance next to the university? Yeah, that's right. So um, my dad is a dancing teacher. So he had his own dance school. This is just like a little background information. This is why I like dancing so much. So I really grew up with it. But unfortunately, the last years I was not able to do it. So I'm doing modern dance and jazz dance usually. Um, and I wanted to start again at BTU. I know that they offer um, modern dance courses. But of course, due to the pandemic, it was um, I was just not able to do it. Um, so I really miss it. And also with the records. So I got the record player from my dad and I got his huge collection. Uh, so I think it's over 800 records in total. And of course, I have not listened to all of them yet. Also, it's a lot of stuff for the dance school. Um, but there's one record that I really like. It was my very first one. Um, and it's from the Pierce Brothers. It's called The Records Were Ours. 
And I had this record even before I had the record player <laughs> because I just knew I want one and this is going to be awesome and it's really a hobby of mine. And um, I met this band in Australia also. It's, it was a street band um, back then. And I just saw them in Melbourne. Um, I remember this, it was Burke Street. If, um, some, some people will know probably from the dual degree. So there's always artists playing and I saw them and I thought they were amazing. They had so much energy and really this, this good new music. So I bought a CD back then and then I saw them again in Amsterdam on a concert. So this is when I bought this record and um, I really like it because it also reminds me on, on my trip and on my stay in Melbourne, especially because I really liked that city when I was in Australia. Thank you so much, Rebea, for all of your heartfelt and warm answers. We are going to take a short break and come back in a few seconds, so please stay tuned. Okay, hi again. We are back with the second part of our questions. Raba, what made you decide to apply to the World Heritage Studies program at the BTU? Did you have other universities or programs in mind when applying or was BTU your first choice? So BTU was definitely my only choice. It was the only university I applied to. Um, so I'm still happy that they um, gave me the chance to do this program. But it was, um, again, I already told you that my bachelor's program, like after a while, I was not too happy with it. Everything was so vague and um, I really, I really needed something with, with more hands on. So um, after my bachelor's, I started working for um, not so long, as you said in the introduction, it was only for, for a bit more than half a year. Um, it was in the tourism field, but also in, in work and travel. And I had an amazing time, but I quite quickly found out that it was not the thing that I wanted to do and I needed something more cultural related. And I remember that I saw this program um, already one or two years before when I was thinking about what I could maybe focus on in my master's. And then I thought of it and very last minute I was like, yes, this is what I want. This is definitely what I want to do. Um, so I applied for it. And like I said, it was the only university. Um, yeah. That's great. So how do you find living in Cottbus? And do you have a must-see place in Cottbus or something that you would recommend other students to see? You know, this is pre-pandemic, of course. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> no worries. Pre and after pandemic. Yes. Um, so I really like living in Cottbus. And I have to be honest that I'm surprised myself like by now not anymore but at the beginning I was really surprised because Cottbus is a really small place and um, also in Germany not a lot of people really know it um, and it's really far east it's like because I'm like my hometown is really like the west of the west of the west <laughs> so it's really the other side of, of Germany and before I also have only been once to Berlin and yeah it was when I was young and in school and it was it was completely different and I really thought hmm, I'm not sure if I want to live in this um, far east uh, German city but then I arrived and the city like the the old city center is so sweet I found this amazing people so quickly like I have amazing flatmates I was really lucky with them but also all of the people from my study program everybody is so warm and welcoming in Cottbus from from the students and yeah it, it just felt right so i really enjoy cottbus by now 
And yes, I also do have a favorite spot. And as I have listened to the other um, podcast episode, I already heard that there's a lot of parks that were mentioned. So I thought, okay, um, one of my favorite more cultural spots is the Prima Vetta. It is an open air restaurant club thingy, like a, a wild mixture, a little bit artsy. Uh, they have some sustainable markets on the weekend sometimes, but uh, you can also sit there. There's always a bit of food, but I think mostly people go there to have parties in summer outside because there's always a DJ. Sometimes there are DJs that play with records, which is really, really a lot of fun. Sometimes they have little cultural concerts, but um, I think last summer when Cottbus was not too bad in the pandemic, um, I went there with my flatmates almost every, every second day, just dancing, having fun. Um, it was warm, everybody was doing fine. So this is really one of the good memories I had from 2020. That's so nice. I, that's a new suggestion for me, at least. I have not gone to Prima Vetter, but I've seen it uh, from downside, of course, non-active. Um, so I have a question. As a German living in quite a few different cities and even countries, um, but so far in Germany, we're curious to know which one, which city did you like the most? That is a really difficult question, but I also have to say probably it was Münster because Münster, so where I did my bachelor's, Münster is the perfect city, I think. And Münster, it's not Münster's fault that the bachelor's program was not the best fitting for me, but the city itself, it's perfect. It has the perfect size. There's bicycles everywhere. The vibe is awesome. It's really the student city. Um, they have so much cultural stuff going on. It's a, it's a beautiful old city. And I really, really enjoyed the city much. Um, I also enjoyed Munich a lot. It's very different, of course. It's Bavaria. It's um, You cannot compare Bavaria to the rest of Germany. Um, but in Munich, I really like that you have everything really close, like the mountains. You can go hike there. You have lakes. You have all this nature. And then this beautiful city as well. But really coming from Northern Westphalia uh, with the whole vibe, I, I think really Münster is the one city that I can recommend everyone. The city of bicyclings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's Very right. It's famous. the city of bicycles. It's also, it's really close to Amsterdam. And I mean, I think most people know that Holland or like the Netherlands in general is really a bicycle country. So you can drive to Amsterdam and within two hours um, by car. So it's really close. And I think, yeah, all the bicycle culture is really coming from there. But Very interesting. Rabba, you lived in Australia, Kenya, and of course, uh, your home country, Germany, and now you're in Cottbus. Uh, what's your next destination? Do you find yourself here um, more or would you like to move again, perhaps to another part of the world? Yes, it's so and so. So um, I do find myself here in the terms of yeah my study program and the people, the students, yeah, or the people that I made friends with. But it's definitely clear that I will not stay here. Cottbus is just a too small place and it's awesome if you study, but it doesn't give you too many opportunities to work. And I also have to say, I think we all have to be realistic that sometimes we all have to be flexible and see where the jobs are, which of course is um, not always the best situation. But yeah, it's clear that I will move. I'm not sure if I will go abroad. I think I would I would like to go abroad again, at least for some years. But yeah, like I said, it's it's go it's going to be tricky for sure. Great. We are done with the second part of our questions. So we will take a short break and come back very soon. Stay tuned. 
Welcome back to part three. Starting with the third part of our talk with Rabea, we would like to know what do you think makes the WHS Masters at the PTU so special? So it's definitely the people. I know that other people you interviewed said that already, but it is a matter of fact that the people in the study program really makes it good. But what I also think is, and what I really, really enjoy is that everybody is so engaged. The students are really engaged, but also the teachers. Um, of course, it always depends on who you have, but in, in very general, I have never seen such engaged and interested teachers. Like I can compare it with the study program I already had, but I can also compare it with the study programs of my friends, what they told me about other universities in Germany. And I think that we are really, really lucky. You can definitely tell that the people love what they do. And it doesn't matter if it's the students or the teachers, but you can feel that it's, it's a community. They really want you to succeed because we all have the same aim to protect heritage. And it's just making the program really great. Robin, uh, at the moment you are in your fourth semester and considering Corona and everything, are you still planning on writing your master thesis this semester? And what are further plans for your thesis? So um, my plan initially was to go to Japan to write my master thesis there. So I'm just very interested in Japan personally, but also I really like how they handle the heritage, how they really find the connection between intangible, natural and tangible heritage. It's um, They handle it in a really unique way, I think. And I think that I can learn a lot there. Um, so we have some partner universities, but there's this one uh, partner university um, with a focus on heritage also in Tsukuba. And yeah, my plan was to go there, to be there right now. But as we have to be flexible um, in the pandemic, it, it just got postponed, which is completely fine because um, at the beginning, I was not happy with it. I wanted to finish, but <laughs> just being honest, it doesn't make any sense to finish this summer. I also stressed myself a lot the last semester. So I think it's really good to, to have a bit of a break, really breathe through. So what I can do, like the semester got postponed to this winter. So I have the whole summer to really focus on what I want to write about in my master thesis, just get together with the people again, really socialize again, enjoy, enjoy the weather, really find out what I want to do because I don't have many plans for afterwards. So um, I really try to find a topic that I I am completely satisfied with. Um, I already have my second supervisor because it's from the University of Tsukuba, but also a task of mine from next week onwards um, will be to find my first supervisor and really find a topic. And I think that's um, it's perfect that I got the time that I can really concentrate on it. Just having one or two courses for fun because I think they're important because I couldn't do them last summer, but otherwise really find out what I want to do and yeah, hopefully be in Japan then next semester. And I also have to focus a little bit on the language. <laughs> I have to admit that because otherwise there will be a, a really big language barrier. So unfortunately my language courses couldn't take place. So I'm trying the best I can to learn as much as I can do as much yeah, as I can myself. I wish you all the best with your coming plans for doing your project in Japan. Thank you. I hope it takes place. So, Rabia, about last summer, you participated in the European Heritage Volunteers. 
Um, what was your project that you did there and what was your task and job there? And how could you plan uh, participating there? And are you also planning to do this project, uh, attending the project this summer? Yes, so I was in Vienna. Um, it was a very last minute project. I initially um, applied for Georgia and Vienna, but uh, Vienna was full already. So I was um, on the waiting list and I was really lucky um, that Baird called me one day before and he was like, okay, if you're spontaneous now, you can come tomorrow to Vienna. So that's what I did. And I am so glad that I got the chance because it was the best thing that I did last summer. So the task was to restore statues in front of the um, Castle Belvedere in the middle of Vienna. I think um, a lot of people know it, also UNESCO site. And I'm still amazed how much I learned, how great our team was, and especially how good the supervising was. Yeah, the team in Vienna was amazing. Like the teachers we had. Yeah, I'm, I'm still a little bit speechless because like last summer, it was the only thing that I could really talk about because I enjoyed it so much. So it was quite clear that I want to do um, more projects this year, hoping that more can take place. So I again applied for Georgia and I also applied for some other projects that were fu uh, full, unfortunately. Um, but I also got another project in Austria, but in Schlierbach. It's, um, it's a different place, not, not in Vienna. So in Georgia, it's going to be archaeological and architectural work. And in Schlierbach, also restoration, which I really enjoy. So yeah, I'm excited because I would also love to see a, a bit more of Georgia, like travel there a little bit if it's possible. It's a great country and I, I already got prepared last year for it. So I hope that I can, um, I can really go there this year. And I can definitely, I can just tell all of the people that, that listens that they should go to the projects. It's really, it's really hands-on projects that's just so much fun. I love hearing about your diverse experiences in the cultural field. It's like truly awesome. And I know that you're also working with the World Heritage Watch. A few of our students are actually involved with it. So I'm sure a lot more other students who are not involved would like to understand a bit more of the inner workings of it. So could you please tell us a bit about your most interesting or your most recent project that you're working on with them? That is right. So at the moment, we are a team of four volunteers. Yeah, we started around February, April, so it's not that long ago. Um, and our main task is really um, doing an awareness campaign. So the organization is quite, it, it is established really well already. Um, they have a huge network, but what is lacking is the social media presence or the presence for younger people, especially. Um, so that was our first task to, to start Instagram, Twitter, really update Facebook, everything so that people really get aware of what the organization is doing. We always, like at the moment, we're working on the web page so that everybody, uh, everything gets a little bit more modern. It's easier to follow, to understand what's happening, what they're doing. And I think the next task for us will be to help out the intern Louise with um, sponsorship proposals because funding really is a thing that um, World Heritage Watch needs. Um, so the intern is already working on it and our team will most likely get involved uh, within the next week and do some brainstorming, find possible partners, everything that really can help the organization. Much like for your team working and planning, I hope you get the sponsors on the board. <laughs> Thank you. We hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Raba, you are also part of the BTU Student Council. What job do you have there right now? That's, uh, that is right. I'm there with Liana also. <laughs> so that's always, always nice. So my task at the moment is being in the emails. That was already my task last semester with one of the former Stuco members. But I'm also doing the Stuco room. So I can advertise it a little bit now because we do have a really nice Stuco room. But um, unfortunately, it couldn't be... Uh, couldn't be used the last month or the last semesters and I think also a lot of students are not really aware of it so we started this huge tidy tidying up and cleaning thing for the for the office we reorganized everything a little bit and made everything ready for the next winter semester when students can um, come in person again so that they can meet us there we will have an office hour and fixed office hour. Yeah, so that was lots of fun. It took two or three days to yeah, make everything ready. Um, but now we, we can also work in there. And the last task for my semester now is being in the merchandise. So we also plan to do some merchandise for our program specifically. And right now we are working with a local artist, which is really nice. And she will design our logo. We already got the first ideas and yeah, we're still talking and discussing about it and hope that all of the students will like it. But we wanted to um, yeah, support some of the local artists. We will see and we will definitely let you know when everything is finished and when you can buy the first mugs or tote bags or whatever you like to have. Thanks a lot uh, for sharing with us about this Stuka office and invitation. I think it would be a really nice uh, rendezvous to have there. Um, and I don't know, coffee and kuchen and checking out in the art gallery. So Raba, last question. What is your favorite World Heritage site and why? So I really thought of this question and I think it, yeah, I'm pretty sure that it's hard. Um, everybody said that so far because it's just so much. But personally, I love Lamu Island. So the, the heritage site is Lamu Old Town. It's a tiny little island um, in Kenya. It's close to the Somalian border. And I went there during my stay in Kenya because they have a huge and amazing cultural festival. Um, and unfortunately, not a lot of tourists go there because it's considered as too dangerous because of Somalian pirates. But that has been really many years ago and it was the best experience I also had. Um, the people were so amazing and kind and I, I just connect so many personal emotions and experiences that I had on this island. I found amazing people, amazing friends that showed me everything. We went sailing, but also the old city is it's awesome. It has this um, coral houses, um, which are just beautiful. Yeah, cars are not allowed. It's really this laid back place and i think it was also one of the most amazing spots that i have ever been to so far amazing i think this is the first time we have a site from kenya and especially an island thanks so much for introducing this to us and excellent choice thanks a lot raba for taking your time and sharing your story with us today we enjoyed it a lot it was such a pleasure and we hope you also had fun um, talking with us. <laughs> Definitely. And, <laughs> yeah. And we wish you to have a great semester and all your plans for your thesis and the projects come through. Thank you so much. I wish the same for the two of you.
Thank you, Rebea, really. And thank you to also to everyone who is listening to Rebea's story and supporting the podcast along the way. We've had such a pleasure to see our classmates and get to know them more. And we are excited to share all of their stories with you guys. Be sure to check out next week's episode uh, where we will have interview with Shata, Shata Ali. She is an architect with all her heart and therefore found her passion in the heritage now. Be sure to stay tuned for the newest episodes on the way. Interested in sharing your thoughts and stories? Feel free to contact us. You can reach us on Instagram, The World of Heritage, or email. Thanks again for tuning in. Dankeschön, merci, gracias, and goodbye.